Welcome to Catch the Fire London's podcast. We pray that you will be radically transformed as you listen to this message. So if you would all like to get up and whoop, whoop, dad, as he comes, we love you. (laughs) And then you can stretch your hands and we pray for him and release everything that Papa has for him. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then I can just hear him say, my heart is pleased. Ah, your daddy is so proud of you. Thank you. Father, we know you love him so much. We love him too, but you love him more. I pray that right now all he would feel is daddy's love that he will rest in that anointing, knowing that everything that comes out of him is coming straight from you. Let us see and hear Jesus as he speaks. Bless him, Lord, and fill him, fill him, fill him, fill him, fill him, fill him to overflow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. More, 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 more. Father, as he gives, 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 would you just surprise him? Would you just bless him in every level? Freedom, 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 freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thank you, everybody. Woo! Some of you will be very happy to know that I've changed my t-shirt after drumming. <laughs> Put on a little bit of deodorant. It's great. If you go into the disabled toilet, it smells really good right now. If you want to know the brand, I'll tell you the after show later. But anyway, hey everybody. Yeah, there you go, Sam. See, you're welcome. You're welcome. Just a little spritz in the room. Everyone's happy. Come on. So... Who's been enjoying the I Am series so far? Yeah. Come on, just a few of you. Those of you who are visiting, you don't have to pretend. It's okay. Who's visiting? You're going to enjoy today's though. So today's title is I Am the Resurrection and the Life. And, um, and so we're going to be talking about Lazarus. And we're going to be learning some stuff from his journey. And when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, there is so much stuff. To this. Honestly, I've had so much fun preparing this message. Just for me personally, getting just wealth from the scripture and from the Holy Spirit has just been wonderful. But I wanted to start off you guys with a testimony because, you know, we're talking about the resurrection and the life. And the, where I want to land today, and it's maybe a dangerous point saying where we're going to land before you then preach it, but where we're going to get to today is that your world should infect the world around you with the life and resurrection of Jesus. And if anybody encounters you, they should encounter fullness of life and resurrection. And, and I had a cool moment yesterday, so I don't know if you guys remember, but probably about a year, in fact, almost exactly a year ago, I um, so check the dates, me and Ashley um, had a moment where we were praying for the block of flats we live in. There's 120 flats within the three buildings, and we were praying for them, and I felt like the Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and so I put, we've got a WhatsApp group with every single flat on it, it's great, it's like a kind of just an opportunity to just completely blast the gospel at people. It's awesome. And, um, and I'd had this whole vision from God about two things. One, that somebody was um, battling with sleep and lack of sleep and challenges around sleep and almost being tormented in the night. And the other one was somebody battling with sorrow that had come suddenly and there'd been a robbery in their life that was causing deep sorrow in their hearts. And so I just wrote a message. 
And uh, we missed you were talking about this the other day. I often use the word priest now with a lot of people when I've tried to f- explain what I do for work. So you say pastor, the majority of the world has no idea what that means. And, and we've got like Hindus, Muslims, Catholics, everything in this building, atheists, everything. So I was like, hey, everyone, I'm, I'm a priest and I've just been praying for you all. And I felt like God said this. And, and so I just threw it out there. It was just like, and I got immediately two responses. One person said, that's me. Now, the, God had actually told me the name of that neighbor, and I already knew them, but it said, that's me with the sleep thing. And we and literally just prayed with them, and immediately their sleep shifted and changed the torment stopped, which was amazing. <laughs> they encountered the resurrection and the life that's within me from him. But then the next person I spoke to, basically, they had just had a miscarriage, her and her partner. And they were just deeply impacted and sorrowful and and we were praying with them and just talking with them we're like we believe that the lord has got this in in his hands and yesterday they came home from hospital with a healthy baby girl come on and i was able to message them and be like look what the lord has done and they didn't say amen yet but they will get there and we take Isla swimming every Friday, and I was sharing this with the staff team. Me and Ashley prayed for Isla's swimming teacher the other day, um, because, well, I was chatting to her, and she had an ear infection, and she was in a lot of pain, and I was like, I'm going to get Ashley to pray for you. She was like, why won't you do it? And I was like, well, I didn't say this, but the internal dialogue was, because we're in a swimming pool in swimwear, and you're female, and so <laughs> none of that works in my boundaries, <laughs> and so I was like, Ashley, come over here. You're going to pray for Molly, um, which was the first she knew about it. But she prayed for, for Molly. And then uh, we found out on Friday that, oh no, last Friday, we found out that since then, Molly had, didn't have to go to the dentist. She had like really bad dental pain, ear infection, everything. She didn't have to go to the doctor. She didn't have to go to the dentist. Everything shifted and changed in that moment. Come on. And, and Ashley in the swimming pool goes, praise the Lord. And she goes, Yes. <laughs> It's amazing. But Joe, why don't you just run up as well? Everybody, why don't you welcome Joe up? Come on. Now, I said to Joe, he was like, I don't, I don't know how to do this, but it's fine. I said I'd walk him through it. But everyone, this is Joe. Joe, Joe has been part of our church family for maybe five months, six months? It's been that short. Just before the men's weekend. I know, it has been that short. I feel like I've known you a lot longer then. That's okay. That's nice. Well, so Joe came here because Gary and Sam are wonderful, wonderful neighbours. And they are Jesus to the world around them. And so they caused a domino effect in your life that led to you. The very first week you came to church, you helped set up, which was a very welcome blessing, but not a prerequisite to attendance, just so you know. But if you've been attending more than a week and you haven't helped set up yet, then you can feel convicted right now. Um, And come and join the team. But... Joe, what, attending church, what has that done to you? You said something like every single week something happens. Um, I mean, it, I feel like every sermon, every preach is almost like a, a soundtrack to my life. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baptized Catholic. Um, what, you, what you see here is someone who has been a broken man. And and five weeks ago, I was invited to a barbecue by Gary. <laughs> and it all started because um, I just Gary just moved in next door to me, very new neighbour. I kind of just did the due diligence and said, I'm going to introduce myself. And it was something that he said that caught my attention. He said, 
God told us to come here and now we're here and we're going to set up and see how it, how, it, how it pans out. And that one sentence got me. And then before you know it, I'm sitting, standing outside his house talking for almost an hour and I don't even know Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then I invite him over. He invited me to the house, the barbecue. Um, but what Gary didn't know is that um, I've been battling with a lot of... Um, I, mean, I think I'm over it now, but I've been battling a lot with um, what it means to be a man and a provider, what it means to be uh, a man and a provider and a full-time carer, um, what it means to manage that with a 50-hour week and all the rest of it. And for a long time, I um, turned my back on my faith um, simply because I was angry and I was very upset and I was trying to work out what does it mean to be a man and a father and a son and a provider and to stay strong um, and to keep talking, men. Um, but Gary somehow invited me to this barbecue and I know now, and I've been holding it for about five weeks because I tried to hide from Stu in the, <laughs> in the congregation and very often, I felt like Stu's just talking about my life in, week, in every preach, week on week. And I hid from him. And I remember one week, and it's probably from the, the preach where he said, the glory is all God's. And um, he, 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 he found me. He prayed for me. And I was just overfilled with tears. And the long and the short of it is before I came to Gary's barbecue and... Lo and behold, great things happen at Gary's barbecue. Yeah, yes, I do. This is, this is that action. Take it for me. I thought I was just going to come there and, ex and enjoy, enjoy some nice seasoned Brazilian sausages and meat and <laughs> Sam's very sweet and delectable so uh, 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 cheesecake. But what he didn't know was that me and my wife, out of all the pain that we've endured in terms of recovering from abuse and for myself and depression and still going in and trying to be a, a senior leader in a primary school and all the rest of it and mentoring and coaching and understanding the theory of mind for myself. It was something that I was trying to work out for myself, but myself and my, my wife and myself experienced three miscarriages. And anyone who's been married who's experienced something similar knows that can be a bit of a deal breaker. I remember one night where we cried and cried and cried on our beds after a massive fight where I thought this is it's all coming to an end. And then the Lord sent Gary to me. And as a result of that barbecue, we, we, my wife is 13 weeks pregnant. Yes! Come on! Come on! Come on. Come on. So I just want to say, if anyone who's listening remotely, if you stumbled across this, this mass right now, this, if you stumbled across it in the way that I have, grab it with two hands, guys, because it works. Jesus is here. Praise the Lord. If you see me crying in, during any congregation, it's simply because, more than anything, I'm grateful. 
I'm grateful that even when I turned my back on the king, even when I turned my back on the king, when I thought there's no point even carrying on, somehow he just puts me on his back and he carries me without even me knowing. So Gary... Sam, I'm grateful for the divinity within you. I'm grateful for this congregation. I'm grateful for everything. Um, and you're going to see a lot more of me. Amen. Come on. Come on. Woo. If that doesn't excite you, I don't understand why it wouldn't. God is good, amen? Amen. So I want to start off talking about hope. So we find in John 11, this, this story where it starts off saying, now there was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Now, if you don't know who Lazarus is, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are siblings and they are dear dear friends of Jesus's we know this because when in a few verses time when Mary and Martha send a messenger to Jesus they don't even have to say Lazarus's name they simply say the one who you love is sick and he knows immediately who that is do you know you are the one that he loves he doesn't need to hear your name he doesn't need to hear anything other than knowing that you're the one he loves and and this this amazing story happens where Jesus responds saying, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And you know what's interesting is Jesus clearly knows at this moment that Lazarus is dead. As we read on, we see he clearly knows it, and yes, he, yet he knows that's not a full stop in this moment. And he knows that what is going to happen from this moment is there's going to be a number of events happening that cause a huge turmoil in his life in a way that it's meant to happen. This is the trigger point that leads to the cross. This is the trigger point that begins the journey and the cogs turning of the already indignant religious leaders of that time becoming hate-filled towards Jesus. And it requires Jesus and his disciples going back to Judea, which is a place where they've experienced hostility before and the disciples are worried. And then Thomas says this amazing thing. And it says, Tom, Tom, Thomas, in my version it says he was called the twin. Now it's interesting. He's called Didymus in Greek or Thomas in, in Hebrew. And it means twin. And actually it's believed that Thomas was basically Jesus' doppelganger. He looked almost exactly the same. That's why they nicknamed him the twin. And, and for someone who looks like Jesus to say, I'm willing to go with him to the place where he's going, despite the risks involved. You know, you look like Jesus. He knows you because you are the one that he loves and you look like him. And so where you go, he goes and go with him. And then Jesus says to him, Lazarus is just sleeping and it seems to really confuse the disciples. They'll get a little, there's a few moments where they'll get a little bit dense and, and it's quite funny to me because there's a few times where Jesus has to speak really plainly and he goes, no, guys, guys, he's not sleeping, he's dead, he's dead. But he knows that he's dead and then it comes into this bit where it's just this wonderful journey of I am the resurrection of the life. 
And so I want to start off with a quote from Spurgeon because, you know, it's, it's important. <laughs> it says, The Lord speaks of things not as they seem to be, nor even as they are in the present moment, but as they shall be in the long run. I'm going to say that again. The Lord speaks of things not as they seem to be, nor even as they are in the present moment, but as they shall be in the long run. Jesus doesn't speak from a perspective of you. He speaks from a perspective of him. And in him, he's in every moment, in every trial. And so when he says, I love you, he doesn't say, I love you based on your behavior right now. He says, I love you based on who you are in all eternity. When he says, I care for you, I am healer, I am able, I am all the different I am's we've done so far. He doesn't say it based on this moment. He says it over all of you in all eternity, every mistake, every victory, every trial, every tribulation. He is over you and in you. And so let's go to verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And I just want to start off, this is such an amazing model here. Is it just shows that despite the mourning, she mourns with hope. If you ever want a model for how to journey grief, trial, struggle, mourning, look at Martha in this moment. She's, she's coming with her legitimate and genuine heart cry, the, like all things bared off, all things taken away, attitude towards Jesus of man. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. There's a frustration in her in that moment. And, and sometimes I think we don't think we can go to God with our frustrations but he's a really safe place to go to with it. But then what happens in the face of presenting her frustration to God is that she reminds herself of hope. As she looks at the one of hope, she reminds herself of hope and says, but I know, despite all of this stuff, I know that if you ask of God, it will happen. Isn't that amazing? And so I want to first of all just encourage you today that if you are struggling, if you are mourning, if you are in difficulty, if you are feeling like you're just tripping up all the time, then don't shy away from God about it. Go to him with it, but then be reminded that there's hope in it. Yeah. Yeah. That you can stumble, but you will not fall. Close started a preach off last week talking about weebles who wobble but don't fall down. It's okay to have a wobble, guys. Yeah. It's ho- okay to have a moment, but what you do with it is the measure. And so Martha acknowledges who he is and trusts him. And then we find Jesus comes with this statement. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And just prior to that, she said, also she recognizes that he will rise again one day when talking about Lazarus. But she's talking about one day, not recognizing that the one who could do it in that moment is stood right in front of her. And Jesus has this response. He says, I am the resurrection and life. You see, Jesus did not claim to have resurrection and life or understand secrets about resurrection and life. But instead, Jesus dramatically stands there and says that he is the resurrection and the life. 
And so it's like this, to know Jesus is to know resurrection and life. It's not to know this concept or this thing or this optional extra as like a bonus add-on to who Jesus is. It's who he is. And so when Jesus says he will rise again and Martha says, well, I know he'll rise again one day, she thinks that it's an option that Jesus has got to wait until a certain point to release it in her life. And it's part of the journey of existence is the resurrection that will come through the messianic prophecies that she's reading. And this is the point that it's not that he goes, have some resurrection and life. It's I am the resurrection and I am the life. So resurrection is his. So you could say it like this. The resurrection in the last days shall only be by his power. And therefore he can raise now as well. Because if he can do it then, he can do it now. And if he did it then, he can do it now. And so the first thing I want to say to you today is that if he's done it before, he'll do it again. Why did I share the testimony about miscarriage before I got Joe up? Because I didn't want you just to hear Joe's experience and think, well, that's great for Joe. I want you to understand the fact that if God can do it for Joe, he can do it for my neighbor and he can do it for anybody else because he's not limited in his existence by our concepts and constraints. We're too good at building structures around God's abilities based on our own personal experience. We're like, okay, God's taken me this far, so I'm going to draw a line over there. Let's go and explore this direction. Okay, he's done this, but okay, we're going to go over this way. Oh, he didn't heal my cold. Okay, God can't be healer in this dynamic, so let's go over this way. And we start to build from our experience, because it's the way we're wired as humans, is we build from our experience our boundaries when it comes to God. And I can tell you something. From studying theology, there's two mindsets you have to have of it. Number one is rejecting the option that it is to put God inside a box. Because he's not to be understood or restrained or restricted. But instead it's to allow every revelation to become a mosaic and a tapestry in your mind of the wonder and the awe of who he is. And so as you start to increase in your wonder and awe of who he is, you start to recognize, well, I don't understand that bit, God, but you are God. And I don't get this bit, God, but you are God. And I may not have seen it happen in this moment, but you are God. And we see that in Martha's heart, don't we? That she's like, I don't understand why you didn't just turn up when we called for you. I don't understand why you didn't even in your knowledge. Because he clearly didn't need a messenger to tell him that Lazarus was dead. He already knew it. Before the messenger even came. Sometimes I think we forget that he's omniscient. He knew Lazarus was sick before they even did. And yet he didn't come. And in, in that moment, Martha's like, I don't understand it, but you are God that you are Christ, that you are the Son of God, that you have come into the world. So that's the resurrection bit. What does it look like with the life bit? In Matthew 16, 25, it says, if we hold on to life, we will lose it. And I've been kind of wrestling with this whole concept this week, but when we were praying as a staff team on Monday, um, Alistair actually was, was praying, and he said about how he just had this vision of the river of life and then the Dead Sea. And the Lord really just hooked me on that, thinking, what, what's the relevance here? And, and, you know, when you look at the river of life, there's so many things about it, but you see there's like all the trees are in season in every season. There is healing in their leaves. There's fish everywhere. It's lush. It's full of wonder. It's full of awe. It's full of the evidence of God in that moment. And then you look at the Dead Sea. What's the difference? The sea of life flows. The Dead Sea has no outlet. And then the Dead Sea is actually so full of salt that things can't exist there. And, you, you know, I don't know if you've ever 
been to anywhere like Brent Cross near Christmas, Christmas time and you have those people who suddenly accost you with things like Dead Sea, salt, preservative, makeup stuff, and they're like, oh, do you know a female? Buy this. And, and they're kind of like, before you realise it, they buff the thumbnail and they're like, look how shiny it is. Those, like, there's all these products around. It happened. It happened to me and Matt. It was a real story. We just got distracted anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. But like we, salt in the, in kind of, in our language these days is actually used to enhance flavour, but also it's a preservative. And the Lord started to talk to me about this and, and things like when sea voyages would happen to go and explore, they'd have massive barrels of salt, which they'd put meat into to try and keep the meat fresh as long as possible. And, and I started chatting with the Lord about this and I was like, you've given me all these pictures and all these things going on. What, what are you trying to say in this moment? And he said to me this, he said, there's a difference between preserving life and resurrecting life. He said that sometimes there's things in our lives where we're acting in our Christian faith and journey like the Dead Sea, where we're letting all of this wealth and knowledge and encounter and experience come into us and we're doing nothing at all with it. And we're getting saltier and saltier and saltier. And what's happening is the things that stop us doing anything should be dead. Fear of man. It should be dead. The only fear that should be existent in our world is fear of God, which Proverbs says is the root of all, e- of all evil, of all wisdom. <laughs> the, root of, that, yeah. the root of all wisdom. We, if we are stopping things from flowing through us, then we're going to become saltier and saltier, and we're going to try and preserve the dead things that exist in our life. But you know, the problem with preserving is it's not effective forever. You know, when they cork a bottle of wine, it's to preserve the wine. But, you know, there's always a risk that that could be gone off. And you don't know until you open it. And it could become vinegar. You know, if, you, if you salt a steak and leave it for a while, it gets really good. And then leave it too long, it gets really bad. And, you know, they talk about these ships and they'd open up the barrel to get the thing out that's been salted and suddenly there's maggots in it. Because the dead thing has caught up with its reality. The things that we've tried to put in place to slow it down, to stop it happening, have suddenly started, their realities start to come up. And, and you find more and more, you realize that, you know, oh, I've got so much fear of man going on in my life, I'm just going like, to ignore that. And you carry on with life and you find that more and more it becomes a bigger and a bigger and a bigger problem. Until one of two things happen, you either just run away and hide in a hole somewhere to try and ignore God like Jonah did. Or you have to address it. And sometimes I'm convinced that some of the inner healing we have to go through and healing we have to go through is so amplified by simply our choices to hold on to stuff that's already dead. When we could simply just say, I'm not going to try and keep things alive that I should not. I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let the dead die. I'm going to let life come into me. You know, we try as humans to preserve things that are dead, but heaven brings new life. Is the world refreshed by you, or is the world repulsed by you? Because dead things become repulsive. Dead things start to rot. Dead things start to have maggots in them and they start to stink. Are you refreshing the world or are you repulsing the world? Because if you're repulsing the world, you'll be aware of it. And it's really simple. You've got to let go of the dead stuff. You've got to just let it go. You've got to 
put it away. You've got to cast it from yourself. Let's go to verse 27. Sorry, no, not verse 27. Let's read on a tiny bit. So we go on a bit. And then Martha. Now bear this in mind. Martha and Mary are together in the house. And Martha hears that Jesus is coming and runs to him. Mary somehow misses the, de- the, the memo and stays. And then Jesus doesn't ask Martha to say, I'm coming, tell Mary. Martha kind of goes to give her sister a little bit of a cheeky nudge to help her out a bit and goes, the teacher's asking for you. We see in Martha a response which says, I'm really hurting, but I trust you. We see Mary simply just say to Jesus when she finds him, I'm just really hurting. And, you know, in, in the culture then, the tradition was that all the people around you would come and mourn with you. In fact, they would hire professional mourners to come and be around the grave. It's mad, isn't it? But they would. They'd, and they'd, they, these people would hang around the temple all day long looking for a gig to pay for them to go and basically wail, tear their clothes, throw like, stuff around, cover themselves in ashes because they were really good at being miserable. And... <laughs> And, and, and so Mary and Martha are in this atmosphere where there's like loads of people coming around them, wailing and travailing and covering themselves in ashes and tearing their clothes and gathering around the tomb and amplifying the evidence of death. Martha has come from that context to confront Jesus and finds hope in him. Mary goes, I have no hope whatsoever because she's allowed herself to be defiled by the things of the earth around her. The things around her that are saying, let's celebrate death. Let's celebrate brokenness. Let's make a big thing about this moment. And let's put on a display to say, I'm broken. I'm in pain. And all this falsehood and falseness and this facade, she's defiled by it. And Jesus walks in. And and Mary says exactly the same thing to her. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But nothing. Just rejection and I'm sure we can all think of times in our lives where we've been that low that we've just been like and Joe said it before he was angry and justifiably so I'm not telling you that you just ignore the fact that sometimes life sucks and you get on with it like it's look at me I'm pretending it's okay life sucks go to Jesus with it And when you look him in the eyes, it says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. So that therefore, when we're not perfect in our faith, he sorts it out for us. And he restores hope to us. But Mary, she is defiled by the atmosphere around her. And Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping and he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You know the word groaned there? You can translate that as angry. He was angry. Was he angry because Lazarus had died? No, he was angry because he saw his friend being defiled by the atmosphere around her and not choosing life. He saw his friend being dominated by these people who weren't even sad. It was a fake atmosphere, and yet it was making her atmosphere very real. How many times are we responding to a fake atmosphere and then it become the reality in our lives? How many times is the world coming around us being like, swell, 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 swell? 
And we're like, oh yeah, you're real. Let's, let's, you know, I'm going to make you an idol in my life and worship you for a bit. Because it's that simple. If you abide it. Stop allowing the fake things to become reality in your life. Because you know the devil can't create. He's very simply just a liar. And so anything in your life that doesn't feel like God is a lie. And so Jesus is mad and he's troubled. He's like, last time I was here, Mary, you just sat at my feet. You sat at my feet and worshipped and worshipped to the point you annoyed your sister. And your sister's the one who came and found me and showed hope in me. What are you doing? When did you forget what it was like to sit at my feet? When did you forget what it was like to come and wash my feet with your hair and pour your perfume out upon me? When did you forget what it was like to pursue me with all your heart? He's troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now I want to disconnect the two things we just talked about. Jesus wept in this moment. I don't believe he cried because of his anger. I don't think he cried because of his frustration and his feeling troubled towards the fact that she was defiled. I think he cried for a few things. Firstly, I think he cried to show us that God sees our tears. And he's moved by them. He may get frustrated and angry at the darkness around us, but he never, ever gets frustrated and angry at you. But he sees your tears and he's moved by them, he's touched by them, he remembers them, and he acts to dry them. Because it says in heaven that there will be no tears. But in that moment, he cries. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Guys, we've all been Lazarus. We've all been there. And every single one of us has had Jesus weep over us. Not so that we can say, oh, look how human Jesus was. But so that the world can say, look how he loves him or her. Look how he loves you. The world should see the evidence that Jesus loves you. And it begins to, there's something turning. The fake is starting to get confronted with the real. And something's turning. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it and said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. You know, there was a Jewish superstition that believed that around this time that a, the spirit of somebody would hover over their body for three days looking for a way back in. And past three days, resurrection and new life was therefore impossible. You know, Jesus didn't do anything by accident. 
He's there to confront society in such a radical way. And he's here today to confront society in such a radical way. He didn't wait for four days because it was just how long the walk took or that he needed to rest or whatever. He waited for four days so that they would know that the impossible has just happened. That everything in their culture was being confronted in this moment. That he didn't need to come into the atmosphere of fake mourning and join in with them. But he came in with truth and power and breakthrough so that as he walked, they saw the shift happen in the atmosphere as he came in he brought compassion where they brought falsehood he brought love where they brought jumping on the bandwagon and he brought truth where there was lies and then in the atmosphere of the impossible he makes it possible because God shows up in the impossible and I think sometimes He's taking us to realize that what we're trying to achieve for ourselves is impossible so that we look to him because he's an expert at dealing in the impossible. And so he kind of just ignores it and says, did I not say to you if you would believe you would see the glory of God? And so then he thanks God. He lifts his eyes to heaven. He thanks him. This is something that Jesus does all the time, including when he's doing the Last Supper, breaking the bread. He's breaking the very evidence of what he's about to go through. He's looking at the bread and seeing his broken body, looking at the blood and seeing his blood that's about to be shed. And yet he raises his eyes to heaven and gives thanks. We need to get better at raising our eyes to heaven and giving thanks. Also, I wonder if there's a redemption in rolling our eyes because it's become a a statement in the body language of enough already. Whereas what we should be doing is rolling our eyes upwards to him and saying, I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you for what you're about to do. Because I know that you don't think in the way we think. You think about what's going to happen in this second. And you're bringing it into reality right now. And so then he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, of, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Without Jesus, we exist like Lazarus in the tomb. That's the condition of pretty much the whole world without Jesus. They exist like Lazarus in the tomb. They're bound in their death. They're bound in their destruction. And to be honest with you, they're starting to slowly decay without hope in the future. That's that's what life is without Jesus, is to remain in the tomb. And slowly decay without hope in the future. But we get called out. And Lazarus came out bound in his grave clothes. You see, Lazarus was resurrected by heaven, but was bound and restricted by earth. The things earth had put upon him in the form of the grave clothes were still restricting him and he had to get loosed and set free. When we are called forth out of the grave, we need to make sure that we loose the things that have been trying to restrict us and keep us there. We need to break them off. We need to cut ourselves free. The people needed to see the lack of need for the grave clothes to know the evidence of what had happened. To give him glory. But you know, the grave clothes were symbolic of preparing for death, the equality that death brings, and covering up the decay underneath. Lazarus needed to have that removed. We need to step out of the cover-up and preservation and into freedom. But check this out, just before we go into ministry. This is amazing. So Jesus, as a a view and the difference between him and Lazarus. Jesus cast off and discarded the grave clothes. 
Actually, the language there is almost they were like tossed aside. They were discarded. They were no longer needed. Lazarus came out of his resurrection with his grave clothes, and some would argue that he still needed them because one day he would still die. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, no longer needed grave clothes. He discarded them. They were entirely gone. But then it gets even more exciting because it says in John's Gospel, it says that he placed the face shroud to one side folded. Now, the word for shroud there could be translated in different things as either handkerchief or um, napkin. But the shroud that was upon Jesus' face was not cast aside. It was neatly folded. And check this out. So he had no more need of grave clothes than his folded shroud. In Jewish tradition, a servant, after he prepared the dining table for his master, would stand to the side, out of sight of the master, but attentive to the progression of the meal. He wouldn't dare to return to the table until the master had finished his meal. When the master had finished, he would rise, clean his fingers, mouth and beard, and leave the napkin crumpled in a ball on the table. The wrinkled, discarded napkin indicated, I have finished. If, however, for whatever reason, the master left the table with the intention of returning, then he would crease the napkin into folds and leave it beside his dishes. This was a message for the servant that he would, was to not disturb the table, given that the master had indicated, I am returning. Come on! We are like Lazarus. We've been in the tomb. We've been in the atmosphere of falsehood. We've been in the atmosphere of choosing like his sister to be defiled or step into hope. We've been on a journey where we need to come out of that grave and be called forth and let the world around us come to us and loose us from the grave clothes. Why is church so important? Because we need brothers and sisters to come around us and cut us free to set us free, to remove the grave clothes so we can't remove ourselves. They're trying to link us to our past, to death and decay and stink and rot and all that kind of stuff. We need to step away and be set free and be loose. But also we need to understand something. Jesus is returning. And there is a promise with this hope and this freedom is that we worship one who is alive, who is risen, who is returning and is going to set us free in every single moment. He doesn't need to wait until his return to release his resurrection now as he demonstrated in this story. And so we need to understand something. When he returns with healing on his wings, we're going to see it and it's going to be glorious. But in this moment now, he has healing on his wings. And so I am the resurrection and the life. Let me rephrase it to this. I am alive, me, Dan, you, I am alive, and I will live. Why don't you stand? Why don't you start with this? Why don't you say this with me? I will rise. And I will live. Come on, why don't you say it again like you really believe it? I will rise. I will live. Why don't you say it one more time? I will rise. And I will live. So we're going to do a few ministry things right now I think the first thing is that we need to deal with any way we've been trying to preserve that which is dead in our lives and so we're going to just pray that through right now so why don't you just like Jesus why don't you just raise your eyes to heaven
I want you to say something like this with me. Just, Jesus, I repent for where I've kept the dead things alive. For I've allowed my former ways to be my current. And for where I've tried to preserve instead of allowing you to resurrect. And so I cast off the dead things. I cast off the falsehoods. I cast off the fake realities. I will rise and I will live. I'm just going to pray for you guys, but right now, in the name of Jesus, I command every bit of defilement, every bit of atmospheric nonsense that tried to come onto you, that's tried to cause your woundedness to stay alive and not die, anything that's caused you to not walk in freedom right now, I cast it off in the name of Jesus, and I call you forth out of the grave, out of the situation, out of the trial and tribulation, I call you forth out of the swirl, out of the nonsense, out of those who are coming around you to create an atmosphere to distract you, I call you forth today to be resurrected into new life in him despite all the circumstances in him to know that you can go to him with your trouble you can go to him with your trial and find hope in him and so in the name of Jesus I speak life into you right now in Jesus mighty name yeah father would you come and just release your power 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 Jesus come Jesus come Jesus come Jesus come, Jesus come. And then what we're going to do in a second for ministry is the first couple of rows, we're going to just make them disappear if that's all right. And what we'll do is I just want to ask um, the intercessors, the prayer ministry team, we're going to kind of do a kind of fire tunnel. But actually what we're going to do is as you walk through, we're going to speak life into you, but we're going to pull off in the spirit, the grave clothes. You've been called forth today out of the grave. You've been called forth today out of the trial, out of the brokenness, out of the situation that tried to push you down. You've been called today out of the, even where life has happened at you so much, you feel like you've maybe even died a little bit. And he's calling you out today and saying it's time to be alive. And as a church family, we're going to come alongside you and we're going to rip off those grave clothes and say it is not your portion anymore. And so if you're one of our team leaders or you're in the intercession team or um, Stu points at you and says, come here, if you could come and just gather around where Stu is at the moment. And this, for those of you who don't know what we're about to do, is we're going to create a tunnel. And it's simply so that instead of the team having to move and come and find you, you come through the team. And instead of one person laying hands on you, you get like six to nine people laying hands on you and releasing you into freedom. But today is a day where we get to step out into freedom and into truth and into life, where we get to lay down the anger we felt towards God and find hope in Him.